now launch out upon the delightful study of God's moral character by asking, what do we know about the nature of moral character from Bible considerations? We might take as our text Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? We have been discussing the natural attributes of God and now advance to consider the most delightful thing in the universe, the moral character of God. It should be a most refreshing study and should challenge all to a higher life. Those human mortals who repent of sin and obtain the sweet forgiveness of God through faith in the death of the Lord Jesus for their sins shall spend the endless ages of eternity in happy exploration of the glorious moral character of God. At the present time, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face declared the Apostle Paul in that great 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the chapter of love. This face-to-face -face view of the character of God is expressed in the 15th chapter of the book of Revelation, verses 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. What a profound delight the saints of God shall have in the character of their great benefactor. External beauties are interesting and beautiful, but moral beauties and spiritual fellowship are far greater in interest. It is here that man approaches the great dignity for which he was created and so bountifully endowed. But before we can form any true evaluation of the essentials of God's moral character, we need to bring to mind some of the principles of moral action and moral character. Man, the scripture informs us, was created in the image of God, and thus these principles of moral agency will apply to man as well as to God. How wonderful are the possibilities of man's life to live like his creator in happy reciprocal fellowship. When we talk about moral action, we are entering the very essence of personality. A machine may perform mechanical operations of various sorts. The great universe may be swayed by force. The animal kingdom may be moved to action by instinct, but only moral beings have the equipment to be influenced by motives and the ability to form their own moral character. Moral character is a state of being that results from moral action. Let us therefore consider the essentials of moral action. In the first place, the equipment for moral action are the endowments of personality. We have seen that the essential nature of God is characterized by three qualities or abilities. In the first place, God possesses a personal intelligence or has the ability to think and reason, recognizes his own existence in a self-consciousness, 
and ponders his own actions, or is regulated by what we know as conscience. To cite a few passages, we may look first at Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the great God ponders and has profound thoughts. In the first chapter of Isaiah, verse 18, God inquires and invites, Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What a wonderful invitation of mercy. But God invites man to reason along with his great reason. And in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So God has continuous thoughts toward his creature man. The Apostle Paul sums up the remarkable, incomprehensible being of God in the 11th chapter of Romans and verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So God possesses great personal intelligence as we have dwelt at length upon. But in the second place, God possesses an emotional quality in his being that enables him to experience reactions and changes. God is not a cold collection of intelligence, but a tender-hearted being. God possesses a heart as well as a mind. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 35, we read concerning this aspect of God, And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. So God speaks of his heart as well as of his mind. In Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, we read that there is something in God that responds to the emotions and attitude of man's heart. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. So God reacts to our hearts because he has a great heart. In the 78th Psalm and verse 38, we read about God's inner emotional nature as it manifests itself in compassion and forgiveness, but also in jealousy, anger, and wrath. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. And in verse 58, For they provoked him to anger, with their high places, and moved him to jealousy with their graven image. When God heard this, he was wrought, and greatly abhorred Israel. In the sixth chapter of Genesis, verses 5 and 6, we have read about this great grief that the entrance of sin into the world has caused God. And there we read, 
the tremendous expression, it grieved him at his heart. So God possesses that delicacy of being that involves him in the most penetrating grief over man's sin, over man's evil purpose of heart, and the degrading of his exalted imagination of intellect. But in the sixth chapter of Ezekiel, we have a crowning expression of the consuming, tender nature of God as he reveals the inner sorrow that has come over him and the inner grief over man's utter lack of appreciation of his great character and love. Man has sold himself out to base desires. What can God do but suffer because of the tender perfection of his nature and apply his great intelligence to ponder the colossal folly of his creature man. There in the ninth verse, we read these sorrowful words, because I am broken with their whorish heart, which hath departed from me, and with their eyes, which go a whoring after idols. And so God possesses, beyond any appreciation of ours, the emotional qualifications of moral agency, but in the third place, God possesses free will or the ability to choose to bring to pass or not to choose to bring to pass any event. The will of God is in no sense caused, but in every instance God is free to choose differently than he in fact does do. The whole power of the mind to do anything lies in the will. The will is the executive of all action. It directs the intelligence to processes of thought from which emotional reactions result. In this respect, we are entitled to consider the workings of our own self-consciousness, since we were created in God's image. We know ourselves to be free with the same certainty that we know ourselves to exist, and thus that we are responsible for our volitions. We know that no necessary action can by any possibility be free action, that if something must happen, the will cannot be charged with the responsibility for its happening. If man's will is not free, he has no freedom, and thus is not a moral agent. But again and again, more times than can be enumerated, the Bible affirms and implies God's ability to direct his own thoughts, to make decisions, and to bring his resolves to pass. We may cite a few instances. In Genesis 1.26, God decided to create man and endow him with an excellency of exalted image. In the sixth chapter of Genesis, verses 12 and 13, when man's wickedness became uncontrollable, God made the decision to destroy all but eight persons in the great flood. In 1 John 4.14, we read the profound decision of the Father to send the Son to be the Savior of the world. Our blessed Lord Jesus in the garden, as recorded in the 22nd chapter of Luke's Gospel, and verse 42, expressed the profound freedom of God as he was praying in his great agony before the dreadful crucifixion saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Here is a positive assertion of the will of God. 
Thus it is overwhelmingly clear from numerous Bible presentations that God possesses the powers of personality that qualify him as a great moral agent and is capable of exalted moral action. His character is result of such virtuous moral action to the endless admiration of God's myriads of moral witnesses. And so we shall go on with this profound theme in our next listening. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for these revelations of thy word that thou hast taught us concerning thyself and not left us to the mere observations of our own being as great as these are. So we thank thee that thou art the great intelligence who dost want to reason with us above all that we might return to thee by way of repentance and faith in Christ, find forgiveness and salvation, that thou art the great tender God who does plead with men with broken heart, and that thou art the great God of will who art able to execute great activities in thine own mind and being. So may many respond to thy tender and great invitations this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.